Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Do we have an episode for you today? Well, hello. I like Um, you. I like you too. Okay, (laughs) team. I have my phone in front of me reading it because there's so many things that I need to talk about of what just happened. We just had Mr. Isaac. Well, I guess his Zig DJ name is like Isaac Likes. I mean, his Instagram. Uh Isaac Miller. Yeah, 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 yeah. What an amazing guy. What an amazing Seriously. guy. I have so many mutuals with him. And then we just started following each other on Instagram and became internet friends. And this has been a long awaited episode. This man, when I tell you, is the definition of someone who has lived nine lives. Like I'm not oh even exaggerating. Gosh. Totally. Totally. He has done everything from starting off his career in editorial, in the blog world, like pre-Tumblr, pre-Tumblr era. Okay. Like He's an OG. He's an OG OG at every fashion week show, behind the scenes, covering everything, writing for the New York Times, to then transitioning out of that and doing amazing things you could think of when it comes to being a DJ. Hired by the most amazing fashion companies and tech companies and just like everywhere that's fucking cool. Isaac's there. Mm -hmm. Isaac's there. Mm -hmm. And his thing sort of became like, I like you. That became his little tagline. We talk about the iteration and the the start of that um, in the episode. So listen for that. But he just creates like the most amazing community spaces, the most like fun, welcoming environments. And it's just in the form of parties, which like is one of our favorite things to do, even mm-hmm. though we feel like old people sometimes. <laughs> we talked about so many things. We literally hung up and Meta was like, that was so vulnerable and so fucking cool. It's so, we talked about so many things. I think like, we talked a lot about kind of where everything originates from from him and kind of like youth and childhood experiences and and moving through spaces and wanting to feel included and wanting to feel popular and recreate those scenarios and how you can move through different environments to like serve your needs and how that affects your relationships. He's been sober for eight years. We got in a lot into sobriety. He has some fucking bangers of lessons. Oh, the bars? from. I know AA always comes through with the bars and they really know how to market their, their coping. You know what I mean? They really do. But we talked about like hierarchical social experiences at parties and how we create more inclusivity and how parties can be like vast and fun and escapism, but also intimate and also create this vibe. You know, a community is everything we fucking sound like a broken record over all the time. And this guy comes from experiences at different levels in different spaces. Has and been in the every line is always community. Like yeah. he's such a community dude. It is so much fun to listen to. This, it's fucking vulnerability. That's yeah, what I'm saying. This, he's an honestly, open motherfucker. Guys, this conversation was such a brush of brush. Such a brush. brush. It was such a breath of fresh air. It truly, truly yeah. was. You'll see like if you guys follow him on Instagram or know him on TikTok his personality is exactly the same when you yeah, talk to him. Absolutely. Like, he is just has, and I, we say it to him, we're like, you have such an infectious, positive energy for someone who like has been through multiple rock bottoms, which he talks about yeah, in the episode. Absolutely. This was just such a fucking breath of fresh air. Isaac, you're so the best. Cool. We like you. We like you. And we hope that you guys enjoy the episode and like the episode. So enjoy. Thanks, Isaac. First of all, love the eye masks. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. Of course. Oh my gosh, we're so excited to meet you and have you here. Obviously, like we follow each other and like seen your internet version of yourself, but it's like cool to actually connect and like get to get to talk to you. Yeah, I hope that I am the same person online as I am in real life. Isn't that the goal? Yeah. Always. You give that impression already. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was like, you seem like you would be. <laughs> the worst, like I came up, I've, I've been on the internet for a really, really long time. I started writing blogs and having my own blog 
in like 2008, but I actually started writing on the internet in like 2005. And I will never forget when I moved to New York City and I met all of the famous Tumblr guys. I was going to say, you're OG Tumblr, aren't you? Yeah, but I'm, yeah. Like way, I'm mm-hmm. way before Tumblr though, but like, but Tumblr was yeah. like the second iteration. But I remember yeah. in like 2010 meeting all the famous New York City Tumblr guys and so many of them were so quiet and personality-less in real life. And they were so big on the internet. Oh my yeah. God, it was so weird. So like they only spoke in like rap lyrics. And then <laughs> in real life, they were like the quietest, nerdiest dudes ever. And I was like, this yeah. is insane. Adds up. It's always interesting to meet people in real life, especially like once I moved to LA. Because I feel like when I was living in New York, like in, you tell me if you feel the same way, like I I feel like New York influencery culture and like internet culture and LA internet culture are so different. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like New York, it's it, at least my perspective was like, it adds up when I meet them in person. And then in yeah. LA, it just doesn't. Yeah. Also, like, I've, I was talking about this yesterday. I feel like New York influencer culture is much more individualistic, and LA influencer culture is like mm. everybody works together a lot more and is like, I'll mm. share my followers with with you if you can like give me some of your clout and you know like they do all this stuff but I feel like in New York if you look at the people who really made it big in New York like they're like one person in a room with their camera which honestly checks out for just the way that like New York hustle culture is just like that individualistic we're all working our asses off like figure it out type of mentality what would you guys say about Miami I lived in Miami during the pandemic actually did you Uh, I know and she's from there so I'm like how how does that translate I feel like Miami operates just in its own world, and I feel like <laughs> I feel so like Miami Miami's not part of America. Mm-mm, it's not. <laughs> it's really it's, not. Honestly, it's not. I think people in Miami. I mean, it's, it's also changing. definitely not Florida. No, mm, it's get not that abundantly clear. Yeah, sure. I, sure. people know. I'll never say I'm from Florida. Absolutely <laughs> not. Like my license plate, I still have a Florida license plate, and it's like I feel ashamed every time I enter my car. I'm like, I swear, I, I have a Florida driver's <laughs> license. Really? Really? Oh yeah. my god, both of you. Yeah. Let me tell you. But yeah, Miami, Miami's a different breed. I have lots of thoughts, but it'll take me on a very, very long tangent. But it's interesting that you say that about like the 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 culture in LA of people like working together a lot more because it reminds me of a question we want to talk to you about. So I will circle back. But first, we start all of our episodes by asking our guests what they're currently unpacking. It could be large, it could be small, you can be in your feels, you cannot be in your feels. Whatever I mean, comes I mean, to like- mind literally the 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 literal answer to that question is i've just moved into my new apartment so i've been unpacking actual furniture like big box furniture so my um, favorite thing to do decorate a new apartment yeah so i just got this lamp today oh love love a mushroom lamp it is phallic ish yeah Um, this is the best kind of lamps in the best possible way (laughs) what am i unpacking at the moment that is a good question Oh, I mean, like, I'm always trying to figure out relationships Ooh, and how to have a relationship. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of like dating, but yeah, I'm I get, yeah, I'm like kind of dating. But yeah, I'm I'm always trying to figure out like how to have relationships. I'm always trying to figure out how to like do the job that I do and be attractive to women who would want to date like a real human being who doesn't work in nightclubs. Okay. Uh, yeah, I imagine that's a hard balance yeah. to strike. Yeah, often the people who are interested in me are people who are very interested in the scene, like that lifestyle. Yeah, and um, and that's not really like the the relationship that I'm trying to have. So yeah. that's something that I'm working on, and then also just trying to figure out like how to be okay without like needing validation all the time. 
Mm. It, are you a words of affirmation kind of guy or is it through people's, well, I guess I should say, is it like in a personal capacity, work capacity? Do you mind elaborating? All of the above, like attention, okay. attention's a big thing for me. Yeah. I mean, obviously. Um, <laughs> um, and then, um, yeah, like a, especially like a romantic validation is a real big thing for me as well. Okay, yeah. so like big words of affirmation, man, in relationships. Uh, I don't know. No, I wouldn't say that. I'd, I'd say oh. like rom- attention. <laughs> attention okay. from, from women like is, is like a big thing for me. I don't know if like words of affirmation is what I'm saying so much as like wanting as much attention as possible. And like that's, like that's at the base level. And what I'm unpacking is like existing without needing that validation sure, sure sure yeah how to give it to yourself in a way that you're not relying on other people serving that need for you yeah yeah for yeah. sure yeah do you take because you were saying like you're single but you're dating like do you take right. just the way that you said it struck me like do you take active breaks where you're like i'm not dating around at all right now or like you're kind of always constantly like in the mix yeah i mean i think i think i do um I'm not a huge fan of like American dating culture. Why? Even though I've lived, I've, uh, just because oh, I like. Tell us the differences, please. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, like, uh, also, like, bear in mind that I left New Zealand at a time before like Tinder even existed. Sure. So, like, um, but the differences were that, like, if you started hanging out with somebody and like hooking up with somebody, like, that was the person you were in a relationship with. Mm. Oh, wow. And okay, so there okay. wasn't really this idea of like non-exclusive relationships yeah. or situationships in, in New Zealand, like in my in my era. And so um, that was a big difference. And also just the American style of like dating multiple people at once always feels like you're interviewing, like it's like a job interview for a relationship. Mm-hmm. And that always seems strange to me. And also like I'm, an, I'm, I'm like a re- recovering drug addict and alcoholic, right? right? And, you know, one thing that we say, like we talk about how like my drug of choice is more right? Mm. And so if I can get like a little bit of something from like six different people, why would I want one thing from one person? Totally. Right. Like if six different people can fulfill like all these different needs, like I can have intellectual conversation with one, I can have amazing sex with another, I can get like all the affirmation from another, one other person might want to pay for me for everything, whatever, you know, like let's just, mm-hmm. you know, for argument's mm-hmm. sake, why would I choose just one person when, you know? And so it's like, I feel like this American style of like dating around like multiple people at once, like is not conducive to getting into long-term relationships. Agreed. That's so interesting too, because I feel like it's almost like two in it. You could spin that. Like I can see how my brain would be, would justify that in the way that's like, well, it's healthy that I'm not relying on one person. And if one mm-hmm. person isn't fulfilling my everything, like I can disseminate my needs amongst friends to get these different, like you can see where it like serves you to an extent. And then like, you're saying like where it goes that extra. I'm not talking about friendships. So I'm talking about like all like dating, right. like, all, right, 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 right. I just, I can, I can see how that translates though, you know, in a perfect world, we get all these different things from our, like from our parents, from our siblings, right. from our, you know, from our family members, from our friends and from our romantic partner. But I'm talking about specifically like right. getting all these things from multiple yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been like a inner child work guy? Have you ever dived down that rabbit hole? I'm like ten years into therapy, so like I've I've done a lot of um, reflecting on my past. But um, earlier this year, I made a decision that like I don't want to I don't want to do traditional like therapy, like looking at my childhood anymore because like I'm mm-hmm. sick of looking at like 
all the things that made me cry when I was in elementary school Mm -hmm. and what Mm -hmm. I want now. So I changed instead of like being with a traditional therapist, like I have a life coach now. Cool. And it's all about like We've been looking, talking about this so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about looking to the future. It's all about like where, yeah. am I, where am I at right now and how can I build like the best possible structure for myself and like get my confidence up as much as possible to make the best future for myself. Because like one of the biggest things I struggle with is low self-esteem. I love mm. that you brought this up because I feel like a lot of people when they go into therapy and like traditional therapy, they're so scared, me, myself included, that like it's going to be so heavy all the time. And then it sometimes gets people to like end up quitting therapy because you're like, I just mm-hmm. don't want to fucking talk about my feelings in this like heavy way all the time and like trauma dump and blame my parents and blame my up- – like I get it. So I think it's so – I love that you brought that up and saying like, okay, I did it. And then I was able to pivot and like, this is what's working for me now. And just because I'm not like looking at the past and fixing all my patterns in that way doesn't mean that I'm not like progressing as a human being. This is actually what's just like functioning the best for me in my life right now. I love yeah. that distinction. Totally. And also like what I've found just from like sobriety and from therapy and everything is that like, I could be the most self-aware person in the world and that does jack shit for how I live my life. It does nothing for how Eggs. I live my life because like, knowing that I like knowing that these things are the case doesn't mean that I'm acting, you know, like in a, in a positive way in my life. Like, Mm -hmm. um, also like I, I learned that it's easier to act my way into right thinking than it is to think my way into right action. Right. So if I start performing the action first, Mm -hmm. my thoughts will change eventually. But Mm -hmm. if I am just like thinking forever about how I want my life to change, that's not going to necessarily like, you know, like changing any of my life action. So like I have to act first, think later in a lot of these situations. And I'm talking about like act in the right way, not act in the wrong right. way. Aligned and if I action. do start, yeah. if I do start acting in the wrong way, like over and over again, then my thought process will get like real negative real quick as well. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. do start spiraling down those like negative behaviors and negative ways of thinking, is there a way that like snaps you out of it? Yeah. Generally it has to hurt enough for me to want to change. Mm. Hurt yourself or other people? Both. And I yeah. think that like hurting other people like hurts me in the end anyway. So like. Totally. Totally. Right. It's so true though, because that's such a way like that we can all get stuck in self-awareness hell, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it is, it's almost like a CB, a cognitive behavioral therapy thing too. Like it's, it's almost like a fake it till you make it like make your behaviors okay. act like what your highest self would be. Even if you don't feel it right now, it doesn't matter. How would they act, perform that action until you get to become that person? I yeah. mean, I love that. it checks out. It's like how you form a new routine, right? Yeah, for sure. Holy. And um, and so like with this new therapy, like what the reason I started working with this new like life coach, she's amazing. Her name's Megan, um, is that I had found that like over the last 15 years of my life, I would get to this like point of success in my career. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I would either like lose interest or I would like hit a wall and be like, I can't see how to progress it further than I've got like gone. And so I quit and start something else. Got it. And I think that like I've, you know, like, and I'm not saying this to be arrogant, but I think that I've proven to myself at this point that I've, I've managed to be successful in a number of different fields. Like mm-hmm. I was a journalist. I wrote for the New York Times. I was a, you know, like I was a DJ. I, I, I worked for all these like massive companies and did all these like big things. As a TikToker, I've managed to amass a, like a following and have viral videos and stuff like that. But it all like, there always comes a point for me where I'm like, I can't see how to progress. And so I'm going to quit. And I started working mm. with this life coach because I was like, I want to figure out how to break that fucking wall yep. and go further than what I've 
you know, than, than where I'm at right now. And there's something inside me that like, I think that I'm really terrified of success as much as I am of failure. And so like, I get to this point where I'm like, okay, now I want to hide because like I've gone this far, but like, if I go any further, it's like, it's going to expose me or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I want to hide. Yeah. I don't want to like, go further. I don't want people to see me. Do you feel like you're going to end up in a room that you're like, why the fuck am I sitting in here? Yeah, maybe. Or that like people are going to like see too, like know too much about me or know mm-hmm. me too much. And that terrifies mm-hmm. me as well. Cause like, mm-hmm. I feel like the more vulnerable you make yourself, the more people see you, the more easily you can be rejected. And rejection is probably my biggest fear. We are same, same, Isaac. We are same, same. Well, that adds up to why you like to date a lot of different people and get all those different needs filled. Because if if yeah. six different people are filling different needs, you don't have to show your full self to one person ever. So it adds up. It's so cool, though, because mental health is still something new that we talk about. And so I don't think people know all their options and know that therapy doesn't work for everyone. It doesn't have to be your mm-hmm. thing. It could work for a very long time and then throw you into self-awareness hell. Like We're so multifaceted and there are hella different options to kind of like serve yourself and break those patterns and explore kind of like who you are. So I think that's so fucking rad that you're doing that. Yeah. And also I've found that like a lot of me, like looking back involves me blaming somebody, right? Totally. And at the end of the day, like I don't think the blaming other people and making these stories. Yeah. I don't think that serves Mm -hmm. me very well. Like I was angry with my parents for a long time for like identifying the fact that I was having enormous problems in high school and never putting me into therapy. But that yeah. said, in New Zealand in the 90s, like nobody was in therapy. There was not like, totally. there wasn't even a concept of being, of having a therapist, right? And right. so like, why would they put me in therapy? It just wasn't something that was, that was done. And I held on to that for years. And it's like, how does that serve me moving forward? How does that serve me in my relationship with my parents? Especially when I'm blaming them for something that was in a way outside of their control. Like I'm, I'm blaming them. It's the same thing as like somebody canceling somebody for what they did in 2001 based on 2022 mm-hmm. morals. Mm-hmm. That's a very oh my good God. distinction. Isn't growing up and like seeing your parents as actual humans the fucking worst? Because oh, <laughs> then you're like, difficult. I just have to forgive them? Like, fuck. damn it's it. And I, and I do have, ama- I'm very lucky to have amazing, incredible, intelligent, yeah. thoughtful, caring parents. Oh, but like, awesome. I'll, you know, like if I, if I look hard enough, I'll find a reason totally. to Everyone re- resent anybody in my life. <laughs> yeah. Listen. Totally. <laughs> if we that was will. kind of like high school was like the start of you going through things and wanting to go in therapy. Was that the start of also when music became your outlet? Like, is that how music got was into it like your writing life? first? Like what, what? Yeah. What came happened? first for you? Uh, skateboarding was my first outlet. Cool. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So like I started skating about 10 or 11 and that got me out onto the streets. And so like I was cool. a very independent kid. Like I would like catch the bus into the city, skate yeah. all day and be home for dinner. So I'd leave the house at like nine o'clock in the morning, be home at six o'clock. This is before the era of cell phones. So that I was just like, right, right. Mm-hmm. and so I think that was where like I started to meet friends who like weren't from my high school, who were, you know, like into interesting different stuff. And mm-hmm. I think that was my first true creative outlet okay so random like side note when you moved into okay so we talk a lot about this like on the meadow and i talk a lot about this like solo Mm -hmm. and this is kind of like circling back to like what we were talking about in the very beginning i wonder what it's like for you and if you could like talk a little bit about it because you've come from so many different social environments you've worked in so many different social environments that are all kind of still the same and like we make the distinction between like new york and la and even miami like you start backstage, right? Like when you're writing, you're doing all these like fashion week things, you're writing for all these things. You you have a level of exposure that most people don't have, that most people are really interested to see how you get there, right? But it's very hierarchical. 
-hmm. And then you move into Mm -hmm. a different space, which is DJing. And you're working with all these like amazing companies and all these amazing brands. And you're doing the whole thing. And even what you were saying about like the type of women that like come after you, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's hierarchical Mm -hmm. in a different way. And I was telling Meadow recently because like a week ago, I was like at this very like LA party. And I called her the next day and I was like, and this is why I don't go out. Like, this is why I don't go to things like this. Because when I go out with my friends, like I want to dance. I want to have a great fucking time. I want to like be in an amazing environment with people who are just down to have fun. I don't want to be somewhere where like, it's like a clout chasing drama. And like, it's this social hierarchy that's constructed by people who like are frankly not doing anything. And it like gave me all this frustration. And I wonder if you could speak to being in environments like that. And like, I've been to an I Like You party with, I don't think you were there. It was like one throne here. I think like Ella was leading it. And it was like where I met Amrit for the first time. And um, that was not the vibe. You were there. I was definitely there, yeah. You were definitely there. Well, we yeah. didn't meet, but there, we there has the never room. been an I like you party that I was not at for the record. It's your business, it's true. But yeah, like that was not the vibe when I was there. And I feel like that's just not the vibe of your brand. So I was wondering right. if you could talk to like but how you, you come re- from very those spaces. It yes, like how you've you been able to like keep it yeah. to like keep it pure. Because even when like I read an interview where you were saying that the phrase I like you came from like ending your blog post like that and sort of like introducing this like happy environment, positive environment before people start like going off in the comments. Like how have you been able to retain that even when you've grown so much and been in spaces with people who tend to be in those shitty hierarchical space? I would say that I like, you probably would struggle to find somebody who cared more about being cool than me growing up. Right. Okay. I cared so, so much. And like, I care so much what people think about me. I cared so much about, you know, and I still do sometimes, I still do do Mm -hmm. to some extent, but I really cared about like who was in the popular crowd and Mm -hmm. where I was in the social standing in high school. And a lot of what I do, I think is ironic because I feel like I was a kid who desperately wanted to be cool. And then because I, in my mind, I wasn't cool enough or I wasn't seen by my peers as cool enough, like if you look at my career, like every single thing that I have done in my life professionally is almost like a reaction to how what happened to me in high school. And wow. in in the end, like, um, because, you know, I guess like, what's the ultimate thing? Like getting invited to somebody's birthday party. Mm-hmm. Look at me. I made myself indispensable to the party. Yeah. <laughs> That's so yeah. true. Literally. Yeah. Your, you know, your 10 years of therapy is really showing to me in this moment. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're self-aware as fuck. Yeah. He, he won uh, the game. He won the game. Yeah. And so, um, and also New Zealand, like I find in a lot of these, you know, I've lived in Toronto. I've lived in, I've lived in New Zealand. Okay. I spent a lot of time in Sydney and what you see in a lot of these like second or third tier cities that are looking to New York and London, you know, as the, or Los Angeles as the, um, culture hub. epicenter of what's cool. Yeah. The cultural mm-hmm. hubs is they take what they see on the internet and they mm-hmm. go so much more hardcore that especially when it comes to like pretentiousness and being cool and like gatekeeping, they mm-hmm. go so much further than, than, than like, and so when I arrived in New York, I was like, Oh my god! I cannot believe how friendly people are here because yeah. I come from this culture. <laughs> and of no like, one ever. <laughs> I come from this culture of like cool guy parties in New Zealand where everybody yeah. is so unfriendly. Mm, yeah. Like, wow. Like you only like somebody if they have proven that they're cool enough to be worthy of your admiration. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you only give somebody a you know, and so like 
And then I came to New York and I'm like, oh my God, I cannot believe how much Americans will just like talk to people they don't know. This is insane to me. Um, <laughs> and so like for me, I like you is like my love letter party, right? Yeah. It's, it's like yeah. the party that I always dreamed of before I lived in New York where like you have this incredible mix of like downtown characters you have some celebrities or like cool kids or like models or influencers or whatever. And then you have like the young students who've just arrived in the city. Mm -hmm. And what I always say is that like, everybody's welcome. Everybody will get in as long as they show up early enough. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you're willing to like show up early and wait in line, you're definitely going to get in and everybody is welcome. And everybody's just there to like rub shoulders with each other and have like this amazing mix of people all in one room. And like, I think of, I like you as the anti gatekeeping brand. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How do you intentionally curate that space? Is it because you, I, I've heard you speak about DJing as like, um, a service job. Like you're, mm -hmm. you're like, I will take requests if I can, you know, if it works, if it's the right BPM, whatever, because I'm serving the people. Like, is it because you have that perspective that you know how to naturally pull it together or like where, how do you create that environment and make it last all night long? Cause potentially like Gabby's saying, like even the people that would be at that party that Gabby experienced would be invited and welcome and more than welcome at an I like you party and they they show up. So how do you get both to happen or how do you mirror that culture for the rest of the night? I think that like, I mean, I was always that annoying person who's like, um, you invite me to, for dinner and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm pulling up with six pre people, you know, like I'm bringing like yeah. six people. Like, <laughs> I was that guy. Gabby like, would die. Yeah, yeah. So I was always, I, I was always the person who was like, kind of like trying to force all these like different crews of people yeah. to hang out with each other and in yeah. a dinner party setting it doesn't always work right but in oh, a yeah. party like especially in a massive room that holds 600 people like there's enough space for everybody for you sure. know there's enough space for people who want to talk there's enough space for people who want to like form a mosh pit there's enough space for people you know yeah. like who just want to take photographs all night you know whatever you know and yeah. um Sorry, what was the, no, I've lost my train of thought. What was the just just like how do you keep that energy all night long? Or like, is there anything intentionally that you're doing to create that like friendliness and inclusivity and openness yeah, I mean, all night long? Okay, so one thing that I try to do is like um, play music that is really fun and that is really like user friendly the whole night. Cool. And I think mm. by doing that, like, it keeps a positive vibe in the room. Totally For sure. Yeah. So that's I think that's, true. that's a big thing. And then also just like, I think the fact that like, at this point it's, it's proven that like an, I like you party is going to be fun. Like people who have gone, like they've been enough now that like people know that it's going to be a good time. And, um, and I think that like my best attribute is my community and yeah. like I'm friends with lots of people. And I think that like, I'm lucky that like a lot of my friends will show up Yeah, and I, and I have you friends who like do so many different things. Like I, I, I'm, I have friends who like work in restaurants. I have friends who have like crazy jobs with millions of followers, you know, and like, it doesn't matter. Like they'll all come together and then it's just like this fun, cool mix of people. And I don't think that like, we've all been to those parties where it's only the influencers with millions of followers and they're the fucking worst. It's, it's brutal. It, yeah. Yeah. It's brutal. Because it's not real. It's not real. It's all posturing, you know? And it's like, there's nobody more insecure in the world than an influencer, right? Yeah. So you get a bunch yeah. of insecure people in a room full of their competition mm -hmm. and they're just mm -hmm. going to be like walking around being like, mm. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Or it's just like so feeling true. awkward, or, you know, so you got to have like the real people and also like the kids are so exciting. Like what young people like moving to New York city, moving to LA, moving to Miami. Like that's so yeah. exciting. You know, that's like low key, the real culture. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? So it's true. It's funny when you're talking about like the, the kind of the big party and like the big setting and everyone there, which feels very much like high school and every group being there versus like the community and friendships and intimacy you make. I'm, I am such a great Gatsby whore, but it makes me think of that line when she's like, I love large parties. They're so intimate, small parties mm -hmm. have no privacy at all. Like mm -hmm. you're really striking that balance of like our high school fucking rager where you have every group, everyone's represented, yeah. everyone's cool. But like, because of that, you all just fucking fall into place and have more intimacy in the vastness of it too. For I don't sure. know. What I said. Even just, I've known you for 20 minutes. It's all adding up, Isaac. <laughs> and also, uh, for, thank, you, thank you. I can't um, wait to come to a party now. <laughs> please do, please do. And yeah. uh, the other thing I'd say is that, like, you need the youth, like, you need the younger yes. people who, because they're so excited to be there. Yes, totally. And they, and even though, like, the, you know, like, the cool, jaded, like, downtown coolest people in the world crew might be there, like, acting like they don't care, like, the young people are going to be excited because they know who those people are. And they're like, holy shit, I'm in the same room as, like, whatever person. You know, so yeah, all like, of it just like breeds energy and energy and enthusiasm are contagious. Yeah. A lot more than fucking negative Nancy's that are like peacocking around and having a dick no, measuring contest. I mean, ask honestly. me how fucking fast I left that party. I, I yeah. first of all, drove there on purpose so that I knew because I knew what it was going to be and I had to go support a friend. But like I drove because I was like, I know what this is going to be. And then it was so fucking funny when I was leaving and there was a line of people outside and like the ones who couldn't get in that were like standing against the wall, like so upset were like the people that you think would be like in every single fucking room. And I was like, Oh bitch, how does it feel for you just standing <laughs> yeah. there with your dick in your hand, looking like an idiot because you can't get into this party because guess what? Your clout doesn't always work. Like it, yeah. it was just, Oh my God, I called one of the next day. And then we knew that we were having you on. And I was like, I gotta talk to Isaac about it. Like I gotta, <laughs> I gotta talk to you about the environment. So when did you make your switch? Like what, what popped the bubble from like always fulfilling this high school? Like I gotta be cool. I gotta be cool to being like, I've been in every single room and no one is nice and I'm the only nice one. So I am the only cool one. So like, like, is that like how, uh, what, I mean, what was that I, switch for you? I didn't say that. Like, I wouldn't say that I'm like, an, no, I'm, I'm, I'm projecting that narrative completely. Yeah. yeah. So, but, okay. So, what's, <laughs> so I mean, the big switch for me was getting sober. Right. Mm. Um, I was a terrible, like I was a hopeless social climber for a lot of, mm. a lot of my life. And I moved to New York city. I got into that meatpacking district nightclub and I was like, holy shit, I'm at the table next to Leo. Like I've made it. I'm a celebrity, mm. you know, like I'm like celebrity adjacent. I'm a celebrity by association. And like at a certain point I got sober and I was like, oh, now that I'm not like walking around with drugs in my pocket and asking people to go to the bathroom with me, my phone doesn't ring as much, you know? Mm -hmm. So I saw how, I saw how so much of these like situations and like relationships that I have were like empty and meaningless in a lot of ways. Mm. Also, like I learned that, how do I say this? Okay. So like I used to think that the way to become successful in New York was through the nightclubs. And then I learned that like, it's much more profitable for me to go for a coffee with somebody than to like be out at four o'clock in the morning with them. Right. Mm -hmm. So I learned that. And I also, um, what else did I learn? Sorry, I've got like real bad ADD and I like lose my, I lose my train of thought real quick, but like, um, Hey, that's great for a podcast. We'll follow you wherever that mind goes. Yeah. 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 So like, um, that, that was one thing. Yeah. Like learning that a lot of these relationships like are empty and meaningless in a lot of ways, learning that I didn't need to be parting with people to have success, I think was really important. Mm -hmm. 
And then also learning that it's much cooler to be doing cool shit than to only be like trying to surround myself with cool people. Right. Totally. And like when you're doing, when you're doing stuff that like, you know, like I attempt to add something to the culture of the city. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if I am succeeding in doing that and it's something that's cool and positive and fun, people are going to want to be associated with it. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. But if I'm like, as a social climber, you're kind of always like sucking at the teat of culture as opposed to attempting to contribute. So like, I think totally. that I learned that like, when I'm of service, it's the same thing as DJing. Like when I'm being of yeah. service, I win a lot more than when I'm like trying to take. Totally. Yeah, totally. It feels so much better. Yeah. It's good karma too. Was that, so it took sobriety to lead to that realization. Wait, how long have you, seven, 10 years? Seven uh, years? Eight, eight. Yeah. Eight. Wow. Eight cool. Wow. Uh, do you have any pro tips for partying sober? Mm. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not the easiest thing to do. Like DJing yeah. is a specific thing because I'm like, I'm in control of this very small piece of real estate and I'm separated right. from everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still, you know, like I still do go out a bit, like definitely not as much as I used to, but I'm also a hell of a lot older than I was when, you know, like when I was partying a lot, but I still go out a bit. Um, but like I have a class, you know, I'm a classic addict, right? So like I can get addicted to anything that feels good. So that means that mm-hmm. if I go out and it's like the best night ever, I want to go out the next night and have a bigger yeah. night, you know, a better night than the night mm-hmm. before. So more. like, yeah, yeah, it's more. my, yeah, literally my drug of choice is more. So like uh, pro tips for partying sober, like try not to overdo it. And maybe like, I, another thing I get out of there as soon as I see drugs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to hang out. Yeah. I'm, I don't want to hang out with people doing cocaine. Like if, yeah. if, if somebody like, if I see somebody passing a bag of cocaine, like mm, I'm out of yeah. it. Yeah. Great boundary setting. Yeah. Because you can't control the situation, right? You can only control your right. own actions. And yeah. And also exactly. like, also once people start doing drugs, like you're at a different party from them anyway. Yeah. Exactly. It's very true. I mean, the same is kind of true when you're around a bunch of like really, really drunk people, but like there's something yeah. different for me personally. It feels different when people are on drugs. Yes. Absolutely. And I try, I try not to spend too much time with like super drunk people if I can help it. Right. Stay in your own bubble and have your own yeah. vibe. When you're like in relationships, does it matter to you if the other person's sober or like if they just have like control over what they're doing? I have put myself into relationships with lots of people who drink a lot and it has been very complicated and very painful and very difficult for me and often for them as a result. And so I am trying to navigate that at the moment, but that's something that I have found very difficult in sobriety. I've never, I haven't dated a sober person before, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I've dated a lot of people who drink a lot. I mean, yeah, especially if you were saying that like those were the people kind of flocked around you were the ones that like were partying a lot or you met them out or you met them in that environment. That Mm -hmm. makes sense. Like that would check Mm -hmm. out. Yeah. Kind of a shift, but because you've been in therapy for 10 years, when did like therapy for 10, but sober for eight. So when did your interest in like mental health and working on your mental health, like 10 years ago was very early for also someone that's like cool and in this world and in New York, you know what I mean? So what, what kind of sparked that interest in wanting to work on yourself? Uh, I was so, I, I, I was so miserable. I'd moved to New York and mm. I was in a relationship with somebody, you know, like we didn't get along very well and I was so unhappy. She was super unhappy and I was like, I can't, you know, and I, like, I, I couldn't get it because I was like, this is the love of my life from my, you know, like at that point, that's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. 
and it feels like we hate each other sometimes, mm, you know, yeah. and, um, and I'm so unhappy. I'm so miserable. And also, you know, like I grew up, I grew up religious and, um, Ooh. I grew up, I grew up in a religion called the Baha'i faith and, um, Baha'is don't drink or take drugs. Okay. Right? And so in order to, um, to be able to drink and take drugs on a daily basis, I had had to kind of like divorce this idea of God from my mind and like mm. remove the belief in God. So I was so far off track from like who I was when I was younger. Right. And I, and I had this experience where it was like, I'm living these two different lives. I have this like public persona and then this private persona and the person that I want to be or that I like think that I am very much in quotation marks think that I am is not the person that I am based on how I behave and I'm like going in two completely different directions and I'm so miserable and I like can't live with myself mm -hmm. and I was like and my relationship with my family was really painful because like I felt so ashamed of myself and how I was behaving and my relationship with my romantic partner was super super Nasty, you know, was was gnarly, mm -hmm. and um, and I hated myself, you know. And I was so I was like, I hated myself, and I was like, so what do you do? Like, do you yeah. commit suicide? I was, I'm too scared to commit suicide. Like, mm -hmm. I don't, and I don't want my parents to have to like go to my funeral. Mm -hmm. And so I started like I started to be like, okay, I I've, I have to do something. I have to do something. And I think that like one of the um one of the things that's really saved my life because I've you know like I've been quasi suicidal multiple mm -hmm. times in my life even in sobriety right but the thing that has always saved me is that i do have this like deep down underlying belief that like things can change if i just put a little bit of work in in the right direction mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that's really saved my life absolutely do you think i i don't know if you would classify it in this way but gabby and i speak too often or like to ask people because everyone always has a different idea of like are rock bottoms necessary to like mm. fully advance in your personal development? Like, would you have ever had that experience without having the low side of it? I will honestly tell you that like, I wouldn't have gotten, I wouldn't have gotten sober or like off drugs if I, um, if I hadn't hit a number of rock bottoms. Right. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. there are things that like, there are mistakes that I've made or like hardships that I have, you know, put myself through that I wish I didn't have to do that to learn that lesson. Or like I probably, I didn't need to do that to learn that lesson, mm -hmm. you know? Right, right. But I didn't have the maturity. I didn't have the common sense. I didn't have the- Modeling. Or the, the self-control. Yeah, no, I, de self I, yeah, I definitely yeah, yeah. had, I definitely had the example, but I didn't have the self-control. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I come yeah. from like, yeah, I come from a, a solid family with a great example of like, of married, you know, of married couple. My parents are still together. They still hold hands when they're walking down the street. They get along great. Um, but yeah, like I have not found that to be the case in my own um, in in my own romantic relationships. But yeah, like there are definitely mistakes that I made that I that I'm like I didn't need to make that fucking mistake. Like the like you know that if you touch the stove, it's going to burn you. So why am I yep. touching the stove every day? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you think that like, I guess it's so, it's such an individualistic journey. So like, I hesitate to even ask the question, but do you think that it's, it needs to be this like perfect storm and like this perfect combination where it's like, you were saying like, you didn't have the maturity yet. You didn't have this, you didn't have that. Like, do you feel like that maturity 
came from being in therapy? Like, was it that your experience in therapy that ultimately pushed you to sobriety or was it just like hitting another rock bottom that you were like, okay, something has to change? I, I would say therapy, therapy did very, very little for me while I was still drinking and using drugs because it. it was sort of like show up every week, tell the same story with Like, were you lying characters. to your therapist? No, I wasn't lying. It was just like okay. telling the same story over and over and over again, but just with like a slightly different version of events or with like with different people. And also like, that was my experience my whole life. Like, you know, we talk about, um, have you guys ever heard of this expression, like pulling a geographic where you like mm-hmm. run away, you basically like run away from where you are because you think the things are going to be different going somewhere else. Right. Oh, I've done I that. lived all <laughs> around the world That's and found the same group of people everywhere I went because it wow, doesn't matter yep. where you go because you're still there. It's powerful. The past will follow you till you work through it. Yeah. And like, it was only through the process of getting sober that I was like, oh, yeah. I'm the common denominator in all these situations. It's not anybody else. It's me. Which is so hard to to learn and so empowering though. You know what I mean? Because you're like, fuck, it's all me. And then you're like, well, it's all me. Like That's that's true. But the other thing that I learned in sobriety is that, um, okay, so I also have the tendency, like some people have the tendency to blame everybody else for their problems. I definitely have the tendency to blame, like I'm the problem in every situation. So you're quick to blame yourself. I'm very quick to blame myself. And what I have learned that like, in sobriety is that an overinflated ego isn't just thinking that I'm better than everybody else. It's thinking that I'm worse than everybody else. Mm. So ego, like egomania isn't just thinking I'm better. It is also thinking mm-hmm. that I'm worse. And we mm-hmm. talk about in sobriety, this idea of being like um, the egomaniac with an inferiority complex. Yeah. Like you're the biggest piece of shit in the center of the universe. Mm. And so like part of like this whole process of, therapy and sobriety for me is like ego deflation totally totally so what are some of those things yeah what are some of your what's some of like your favorite coping like i feel like you've said before that you have a morning routine that you try to focus on mental health like what are some of your go-to coping strategies right now therapy is big for me um physical exercise is really really big for me uh do you still skate no, I, I, I actually did skate the other day, like for a, for a TikTok video, um, oh, but I broke my arm like six or seven times when I was a teenager oh my and I was skating and I just like, I just got to a point where I was like, I can't deal with the, I can't deal with the broken bones, yeah. I can't deal with the injuries. And so like, I don't, but I watch a lot of skateboarding, but I'm um, connecting with, with like my friends in mm-hmm. intimate, emotional, thoughtful ways is really mm-hmm. important. So like I can talk to them about how I'm feeling. They can talk to me about how they're mm-hmm. feeling and me listening to other people talk to me about what's going on with them is a big way of like getting out of my own head. Also being of service, like where, when I can being of service, like I think is really, really important because nothing will get me out of my own head, like helping somebody else. Mm. It's so, so true. You mentioned something about like earlier of when you stopped the behaviors that you were doing. And like when you stopped being the one in the room with the drugs and asked people to go to the bathroom, like your text got a lot more quiet. Your phone got a lot more quiet. Mm -hmm. Did you also go through a process of weeding people out? Or did you see that when you naturally made that shift, it just started happening that those people just went, like they were just weeding themselves out? Yeah, I think it was was probably more the natural thing. And then there were a couple of people, uh, there was one person in particular that I decided that I needed to stay away from. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually still like, I wouldn't say I'm close with him to this day, but like I, but we're still like very friendly with each other. Mm -hmm. And he was the first person that I actually like, 
apologized to uh, like you know like after I got wow. sober he was like the first person that yeah. I made an amends to but like that relationship was so toxic and so complicated it was like if I ever felt bad about myself I'd start a fight with this guy because he had mm-hmm. a hugely explosive temper and we could get into some big thing but then we'd both get over it pretty quickly and I was like I need to stop fighting with people mm-hmm. yeah. you know um, so that's true. So yes, like, um, it was probably more natural, but there were a couple of people that I had to weed out, but I can also tell you that like in sobriety, I can very easily like fall into unhealthy relationship patterns as well. Mm. If like, I'm sort of like going in like in a downward direction and like, whether it's my behavior, whether it's my thought processes, whether it's like, you know, like there are plenty of ways to like, act like a dick without a drink in my hand or a drug in my system right if i'm like if i'm judging everybody everywhere i go i'm gonna be a dick if i'm like jealous of everybody i'm gonna be a dick if i'm like being dishonest if i've got a lie that like is like eating me up inside like i will do so many different things to overcompensate to like make myself feel better and there's another Mm -hmm. line i love that people say in sobriety which is uh the only thing worse than my problems is my solutions (laughs) and the shit (laughs) The shit that I will do, like left to my own devices, like without any like help from anybody on the outside, the shit that I will do that I think will make me feel better will get me into so much fucking trouble. What like another thing that I've had to come to terms with, this is one of the hardest things to get my head around is that everything that society tells me is going to make me happy, which is like money, fame, success, better clothes a more beautiful girlfriend, like whatever it is, none of that shit will ever make me feel better. It might give me like a temporary endorphin hit, but it's mm-hmm. never going to actually change how I feel about myself on the inside. And also like the more of that stuff I get, the more bottomless the pit becomes and the more I need. So if you have this like self-awareness through your sobriety journey that your solution is probably going to make it worse, how do you then in tandem like work on your intuition, like trusting yourself? That's, mm, that's, a, that's a really difficult thing to do. And I think that like you kind of um, you do have to kind of like learn that like over a period of years. Like um, when, when you go, get sober, people say like, I wish you a long and slow recovery. Yes. Yeah, and yeah, for yeah. the first for the first couple of years, like I didn't trust anything that went in my brain because mm-hmm. it's like. Also, the other thing that you learn is like an addict is your brain lies to you a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like what oh, your brain God. tells you that you need in a situation is not what you need right. at all. It's exactly what you don't need, right? Because mm-hmm. like right. the thing about alcoholism is that it's a disease where the problem presents itself to you as a solution. Yes. Yeah. Right? And yeah. that is so complicated to get your head around. And, and it's the to same unpack, thing with all this yeah. stuff. Like it's the same thing with fame. Fame is a problem. Mm-hmm. Like look at the most famous people in the world. They're fucking miserable. Mm-hmm. And if fame was going to make anybody happy, like, you know, right. it, would, it wouldn't be the problem that it is. Like, but it presents itself as the solution to all mm-hmm. of our problems. Right? Well, this is why I like to say, I, le- when, I hope everyone in the world gets everything they want because the second you do, you realize mm-hmm. it won't fucking solve anything. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's true. And Keep so, like, yeah, I, I, um, so yeah, like, we talk a lot about like taking opposite action, like doing literally the opposite of what I'm feeling like I need to mm-hmm. do in a situation, especially when it comes to like, I'm having an emotion. I need to react to that emotion. I need to tell the other person exactly what I'm thinking in this moment, which was like when I was drinking and using drugs, I had zero seconds pause between a, like yeah. something going into my head that's, and something coming brutal. out of my mouth or like, you know, and me, me, me reacting. Yeah. I was the most impulsive person with no self-control. And so like 
one of the opposite actions I had to learn to take was to pause and walk away from my mm-hmm. phone, pause, walk away from a conversation, not say exactly what was on my mind. And what you learn by doing that is that like, oh, my life gets a lot easier when I take opposite action. And so, and then I think like through a process of like, of learning this stuff, it's like a muscle that it, that develops and you, you start to trust yourself more because you see that mm, your life starts That's interesting. And it's amazing that you have that support system around you because I feel like so many times like people myself included, I feel like it's just our nature. Like we want things now. So I think that's a cool thing that you learn in sobriety that I think everybody can integrate into their life of like, I wish you a very slow, like yet steady recovery Mm -hmm. because it's like intuition and trusting Mm -hmm. ourselves. Like that's a muscle that you need to practice that you need to get better at and listening to. So if you like are not in a space where you trust it yet, that's fine. It doesn't make you a shittier person. It doesn't make you a dumb person. It doesn't make you a lesser person. It's like, yeah, like how can we it set makes you, you working up with on the, it? Like <laughs> resources you need around you, whether it's friends or therapy or family, mm-hmm. to be able to like elevate you to then be able to eventually be at that place where you can like actually just trust yourself, and you're the only like tool you need. Totally, totally. Also, there are like little cues that like I, you know, and I don't always catch them straight away, but there are there are certain things where I'm like, with when things start happening happening for me, like I know that my kind of spiritual mental condition is not very good right? Like mm-hmm. if I'm walking around and looking at everybody in my life and thinking about how they need to change how they're behaving to make me feel better, that's like a big sign that I need to be working on myself. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that stuff happens I- like multiple times a year. Like I'll be like, well, if my mom was, you know, like doing this yeah. and I wouldn't get, you know, I wouldn't feel like this. If my best friends were like, not like acting so whatever, then Isaac would feel better, you know, but like the moment I start yeah. feeling like that, like I need to start like, yeah, diving deeper in therapy, need to start like asking for help a bit more. That's, That's a good so interesting. Cue. I was talking, I'm wondering, I was speaking to a friend about an experience they were having recently. I'm wondering if yours is similar where they also were raised very religiously and continued that into like their early twenties and thought that's kind of where their life was going. And then it didn't. And through kind of like the more basic or traditional mental health therapy modalities, like realize that there's still this level of existentialism or like big picture questions that religion used to provide for them that they weren't getting through traditional therapy and now are seeking it elsewhere. Did you have a similar, just because you mentioned like a spiritual aspect of this, have you like replaced that side for you? Have, have you, you gone back experience? to that? Religion? Like, have you gone back to that? Yeah. Uh, so I didn't go back to the religion, but I, um, I do pray, which mm-hmm. is not an easy thing for me to do because like, I, I always think it's easier for people to like, like I think it's easier for someone to come into religion or come into belief with God than to grow up being told that God exists because it doesn't mean anything to me because it was something mm. that I always like knew to be true, but mm. it did, but like had no like relationship mm-hmm. with it. So like I attempt to have a relationship with a higher power or like this, you know, a spirit of some, you know, of some sort. It's not something that I find mm-hmm. easy because, you know, like I'm, when I'm praying, I'm essentially like talking to nothing. Right. You know, and 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 that nothing doesn't mm-hmm. reply but i do attempt to pray every mm-hmm. day um and i think that like the best way for me to be in touch with my spiritual side is to be behaving myself in honorable ways and that's mm-hmm. obviously so much easier said than done yeah. But, you know, like I, I find that like the of better course. my behavior is, the better I feel and the closer I feel to a higher power. And the the more I'm being a, the more I'm being a yeah. fucking dick, 
the further away I feel from my higher power and, you know, the less spiritual I feel. Because it kind of just helps you like get more present. Like it's, you're not in your head making up these scenarios. You're not in your head blaming your parents or whoever it is you're jealous of. You're like, you're kind of being present and of service to someone else or acting in accordance with what you're doing. And you can kind of like tap into that bigger picture, I guess, more easily. Yeah. Do you remember when you, when you started like doing this and started taking those pauses before responding. Do you remember a moment in which you did that naturally without having to like think about it or work on it? And where I was like, oh shit, this shit is working. I can't think of it a specific anecdote for that exact thing. But one thing that I, um, one thing I can say is that I find it really difficult to have honest conversations about how I'm feeling with people that I'm close with. Right. Mm. Unless it's like my, I can have the conversation with my parents, but like, like for instance, my manager is somebody that I'm very, very close with. And I don't, and if I start to feel like upset because of something that has occurred in our relationship, that is not an easy thing for me to have a conversation Mm. with him about because I have this like natural belief that like, if I tell somebody how I really feel, they're going to walk away from me Mm -hmm. and I'm going to lose them. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't Mm -hmm. know where this belief comes from because it's not like, my, you know, that never happened to me in my family or anything like that. But like, this is, you know, I guess this is this deep seated fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. And, um, and one thing that I've been trying to practice recently with the help of my therapist or my life coach is having honest conversations when I feel a certain way. Right. Mm-hmm. And not, not blaming conversations, but just like, this is how I feel in the situation. And mm-hmm. what I find is that like, not only do I feel better after I have these conversations, but it like deepens the intimacy in the relationship, yeah. Yep. which mm-hmm. is the opposite of what I think is going to happen. Exactly. What I think is going to happen is you're going to reject me and walk away and yep. it's going to be right. over and I'm going to lose everything. But what actually yep. happens is afterwards, I feel closer to you and you feel closer to me. Right. Exactly. Oh my gosh. It reminds me so much. I was just telling Gabby about how I am a fucking tried and true people pleaser. And it's been like the thing (laughs) that I've been working through a lot more recently. And the thing that clicked for me about that was that if I walked in and like acted like what happened to me, I didn't care about because I'm scared of the rejection or whatever it may be. And I'm just going to go in and placate. Like that's just me needing to be in control still. And like me trying to fulfill whatever narrative I think is going to happen and like taking away kind of that service piece, like I'm taking away someone's autonomy because I'm not giving them the full picture. And so when I try right. to like reframe it, like, no, I'm in service to someone else by giving them the their own decision to how they want to show up to this. It's true. It, it changed. It changed the way I approached it. And then it only creates more intimacy, at least with the right people. Mm-hmm. Right. With the you right know? people, which it's I mean, it so sounds true. like you've obviously like crafted in yeah. your own life because you've like been on this path for so I long. Try. <laughs> I try. <laughs> <laughs> you you can see it. You radiate it. I mean, let me just yeah. tell you, like we started this being like, oh, we, you know, we've met each other on Instagram or like whatever, however, through mutuals. And like, it checks out. It checks out. Like your, I can tell you this now after talking to you for 53 minutes, like the yeah. Isaac we get online and the Isaac that I'm getting right now is same. You're such like an inviting and warm energy that like is really fucking contagious and I think is going to like really change a lot of or already I'm sure has changed so many people's perspectives on just the way that they live their life because like especially in the in the spaces that you move in like you run into so many gotcha. assholes that I'm sure that you hold a mirror to them that they weren't expecting that they get home after an interaction with you and be like wait am I a piece of shit like let's let me like maybe work through something just from a simple well, interaction with you. 
Oh, totally. I don't and know also, about that, but thank you for the kind words. Thank you very much. I'm like, take the compliment. <laughs> take it. No, it's true. You're also you. very vulnerable. For someone saying yes. that you don't want to like show yourself to other people, mm-hmm. you are fiercely fucking vulnerable, dude. Mm-hmm. It's badass. Thank you. thank you. Okay, I have one last question, and it's kind of silly and different than anything we've talked about, but I'd like to ask it anyway because mm-hmm. um, I've heard you say that you love Brain Dead and you've had a Tom Bolo collab, and those are like two of my favorite brands ever. Do you use fashion as like a big form of self-expression too? Like what's your kind of like your journey and relationship with fashion been like? I, I guess I was like, because of skateboarding, like style is such an yeah. integral part of skateboarding. Yeah. I think that's where I really started to get obsessed with clothing. And then my uncle in New Zealand works in the fashion business. And then my, cool. uh, oh, cool. on my, on my dad's side, so my dad's brother worked, but like in the very low end, like manufacturing and, you know, in China for like big department stores. And then my mom's sister was like a very kind of like unique fashion designer, like small one store. Like oh, you got brand. all sides. So I got, I got both sides. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got and, everything. And then the, when I was a teenager, the guy who I looked up to most, who was like also a skateboarder, was a hairdresser. And I, Sick. so my first, my first job ever was working in hairdressing salons. So that's how oh, that's I really so got, cool. you know, that that's how I got. It. And then, you know, like that was the first time I was ever exposed to like Vogue magazine, for instance, you yeah. know, like you work in these yeah. salons and they, you know, I'm giving out these magazines to the, to the women when they're sitting down and getting their hair cut and stuff. And I was like, holy shit, like this is this whole other world. Um, totally. So I think that that was like, that was a big part of it. I also think that like, w- like how we present ourselves is really important in the world. And I think that like, it's, it's crazy to, um, it's like, there's no argument to that. Like, the way that we like present ourselves to the world, like I feel like I get taken more seriously if I'm wearing a suit than if I'm wearing sweatpants. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, um, and so like, yeah, I think that like style is really important to me. I really love clothing. I love product and I want to walk out the house being like, Hey, I like what I'm, I like how I look. It's a mood booster. Cause it, you feel more like yourself or like you, you know what it is. It's almost like taking the aligned action before feeling that way. Like if I'm putting yeah. on an outfit that looks like how I want to feel, I'll start to embody it because I like can see it in the mirror. It's like when you put on a cute, I don't know if it's the same for men, honestly, but when girls talk about putting on cute clothes to work out and you work harder because of it. Totally. That makes sense to me. You know, and also like, like, like even in um, when I was at university, I never understood those people who would show up to class wearing pajamas and stuff like that. Like yeah. I've never understood. <laughs> that like, I person. can't identify with you. Or even the person like, honestly, and Maybe this sounds snobby. I don't know. But like even people who like just wear like their worst outfits to go down to like to run down to the convenience store. Like I don't believe in owning worst outfits. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Aaron and I always say like my scrub look like my scrub look is on point. Like even like it feels good. It's a form of art. Honestly, I feel you so much. We put on jewelry to go to the Dega. Like exactly. Yeah, Yeah, we sure do. It's we're a different breed. You know, community really makes sense as your through line too. Cause I'm like skateboarding, Tumblr, like the editorial, the, the party, like everything is all of those are so uniquely community oriented. Relationships are by far the most important thing. It's everything. Relationships are everything. everything. And like, Like, also like, I always say to people, this is why you have to be nice to everybody. Oh yeah. Because like New York city is small. The world is small. Everybody mm-hmm. always comes back around and everybody always remembers. Oh, yeah. You never and know who like, you're talking to. And so, like, it's ne- there's never been a time when I have, like, acted in a way that I regretted that didn't come back around totally. to bite me on the ass. 
They don't remember what you so say, true. but they remember how you made them feel. Beautiful way to end, team. Isaac, that was so Beautiful much fun. Yeah. Thank yeah, you, thank so, you much. so much. Oh my thank gosh. You. Thank you for your vulnerability. Really thank you, you for being here. This was so fun. I can't wait to come to a party and meet you in person and feel it in person. Me too. Yeah, we gotta we gotta get Meadow in that environment. You guys aren't in New York, right? No. She's in San Diego. I'm in LA. Okay, well then when I'm in California, I'll I'll hit yeah, you guys up here. Yeah. Do. If you're in Miami for Basil, we'll be around. I will oh, be. I will we'll be. hit you up. We will yeah. be around. And I'll be all in right, my cool. hometown, so I'll be like in a different elevation of mentality. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be great. <laughs> Thanks, Isaac. Okay, cool. Bye. Great to see you guys. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Thoughts Mayberry podcast every Monday. <laughs>